Because I live in the real world where all of us live, that when things are hard, when things are challenging, we have a tendency to forget that God wants to use this stuff to make me more like Jesus. Like we invite Jesus into the good times, and we have a tendency to think that the bad times are of a different sort. But really, when things are hard, God's purposes and plans for each one of us is still exactly the same. He wants to make us more like Jesus. Even though the Bible says to rejoice in all things, it's hard to do that when difficulties come. Accidents and emergencies tend to suck the joy out of our lives, not fill us with praises to God. But as Pastor Daniel will be teaching, the goal of our life on this earth is to become more like Jesus. And in his teaching today, you'll hear about a group of people whose perseverance through the end times will end with there being a special gift from God. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Revelation chapter 7 as he begins his message, The Multitudes. So just this last week, you guys are clapping. I haven't even said anything yet. I pray that you're all... I pray that your applause is prophetic. By the time it's over, like, we shouldn't have clapped for him to start. That was too soon. So just this past week, I got the pleasure of going back to the East Coast, the Northeast, to my home state of New Jersey to preach at a good friend's church there. And it's funny, when you go home, when you don't live where you grew up, it can be kind of like a mixed bag of feelings. Now, obviously, because I went to New Jersey, I hate to tell you guys, but New Jersey's got the best carbohydrates in the world. So like pizza and bagels, it's like there's just something about the carbs there that it's like straight from, from heaven, like it's like right there. So I ate like, I just ate everything that I could find. And I got a chance to see my sisters and my nieces and nephews and close friends, people who I grew up with. And it was a great time. But what's amazing is, is that as I had some time in my schedule and I just kind of drove down to where I grew up, I went to the house that we Grew up as kids, and then when I was older, we moved to another house, and I went by uh, Rutgers University, and I drove through New Brunswick where I went to college, and then I went back and planted a church later. I went to the house that Lynn and I first lived in when we got married. And what was amazing is, is I'm not really like a nostalgic person, but one of the things that struck me as I was driving around and I was seeing everything was the fact that I'm not the same person I used to be when I was here. And not only like before I came to know Jesus, but even like once I came to know Jesus and I moved back and I planted a church, I pastored in the town I went to college in years later. But I'm so aware of the fact that like I'm still the same person. I mean, like I've always been short and hairy and kind of cute and mouthy and talk on my hands and I like to have fun. And when things are going on, I like to like kind of, oh, we could do this, we could do this. And I've always been that person. So like your personality doesn't change, but the orientation that God gives for the focus of where you're going and what you're about does change. And even hanging out with some of my oldest friends in the world, guys I grew up with and gotten all sorts of trouble with, I'm the same person, but I'm so different. 
It's one of the ways that we know that Jesus is real because he receives us as he finds us, but then he redirects our lives. And for each one of us, I believe the reason you're here today on our campus, you're joining us online, because deep down in your heart, you're like, I am where I am, but I want to be changed. And I'm here to tell you that every single day of our lives in Christ is a day for Jesus to do this work of transformation. Really what God wants to do in all of us is he wants to make us like Jesus. I like to call it Jesus likeness. I don't think that's a real word. I invented it because God wants to take us and orient our lives with Jesus at the center because of his perfectly lived life, and because of his death on the cross for our sins, and because of his resurrection and the power of his spirit that has been poured out. He wants to take all of us in the circumstances and details of our lives, in our unique personalities, and he wants to direct us so that we become more and more like Jesus every day. And what's beautiful is that for each one of us, the circumstances and details of our lives are actually the curriculum or the classroom that you are in. And as long as we continue to say, Jesus, will you use what's going on to make me more like you? More loving, more kind, more joy-filled, more trusting of you, God, more hopeful. And all those things that are going on God loves those prayers because they line up exactly with his will for us and his word. But what I realize, because I live in the real world where all of us live, that when things are hard, when things are challenging, we have a tendency to forget that God wants to use this stuff to make me more like Jesus. Like we invite Jesus into the good times and we have a tendency to think that the bad times are of a different sort. But really... When things are hard, God's purposes and plans for each one of us is still exactly the same. He wants to make us more like Jesus. And what's been beautiful, not beautiful in like the, oh, it's so wonderful way, but what we're seeing as we study the book of Revelation together is that there's, as this world winds down in that last season before Jesus returns, there's all these horrible things that are happening, but what we're actually going to find is that there will always be a group of people, the Bible calls them a remnant, who Jesus is still working and birthing his likeness in their lives, even in the midst of hard times. And today, we're going to get to look at some of those people. So as we continue our study through the book of Revelation in this year of Revelation, I want you to open up in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 7. Open up those Bibles. If you brought your Bible with you, I'm super proud of you. I encourage you, bring your Bible to church. It's a good thing. It's your Bible. It's like when you leave, you don't leave your cell phone at home. So when you go to church, don't leave your Bible at home. Bring it with you. If you didn't bring your Bible, don't worry, though. We got surrogate cell phone Bibles for you right there on the seats in front of you. They're not really cell phones, but you know, you open it up. Revelation's the last book. And I always like to remind people, if you're like, man, I don't hold books. I hold my phone. Well, open up your Bible app, the Crossroads mobile app, favorite browser, type in Revelation 7. I want you to be able to read along with us. Now, what's cool about this, what we're going to see today is, remember I told you that we're in this section of the book of Revelation where there's these seven seal judgments, and then the seven seal judgments give way to what they call the seven trumpet judgments. And then by the time you get to the seven trumpet judgment, then you start these seven bowl or vile judgments. Vile like the idea of like a vial of something as opposed, you know, not 
they are vile, but you know what I mean. It's like, depending on your translation. But as they're going through these waves of these seven sets of judgments, there's always these little interludes. It's like you kind of almost pull away from the scene and you see something else. And Revelation 7 is that. We've already seen the six seals. Remember, we saw the four horsemen of the apocalypse. They had the first four seals. And then we saw the fifth seal was the cry of the martyrs. And then the sixth seal was these crazy cataclysmic happenings. And then... It ends in chapter 6 where it says, for the great day of his wrath has come, who will be able to stand? That's how Revelation 6 ends. So it's the time for God to right every wrong and to usher in this new epoch of time, the, the new heavens and the new earth. And they say, well, who's able to stand it? And then immediately we go to chapter 7, we get this little interlude, and we actually see who's actually able to stand in this season. So let's jump in. Revelation chapter 7, verse 1 says this, after these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. And of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. Okay. So everyone's like, what does this mean? Does anyone have that question right now? Good. It's a great question. It's the question that I want to answer for you. My friends, what we're learning here is you and I, we need to be sealed. We need to be sealed. See, think about what's going on. Judgment is starting to come, and who's able to stand it? And then all of a sudden, John sees these four angels, and they're standing on the four corners of the earth. And that idea of like the four corners of the earth means like, it literally means like north, south, east, and west in the near eastern way of looking at it. So it's like you have four angels that are each, they encompass all of it, north, south, east, and west, and they're holding the wind. And there's going to be more judgment coming, but then another angel rises up, not one of the four. He's rising up from the east or from where the sun rises, you know, and then he cries with a lot of, he says, listen, Whatever you do, don't harm everything until those who are the servants of God, till they're sealed and there's a seal on their forehead. And then we hear that there's a number that are sealed and it says that there's 144,000, really 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. So what we find here is that at this point in time, God is going to seal a group of people who are not going to receive the judgments the way it is on the entire earth. And so really what it reminds us of, of course, is that God desires to protect us in this life. All through the Bible, we find that God is a strong tower. God is a refuge. And oftentimes, what God wants to do in each one of our lives is he wants to protect us from things that could happen. Whenever I talk to people about 
what the Bible calls sin and why we should avoid it. I always say the same thing because we live in a culture that says, why would I want to follow Jesus? I mean, all the fun things, quote unquote, are sinful and you get in trouble for them. What fun is that? I'm like, well, listen, what the Bible teaches is that sin is pleasurable for a season, but after it, it leads to desolation. So really what it is, is God loves each one of us enough to not want us to hurt ourselves. He's a good father that way. Any good parents, like, look, I love you, and I love you enough to try and keep you from things that are going to hurt yourself. Like, I've never met a parent, if you're walking with your kids, especially when they're little, and you come up on a busy road, and you just say, I'll just walk across, no big deal. Why? Because you're a good parent. You're like, hold, you're like, hold, like, maybe hold them, some of you have leashes on your kids, it's not a bad thing. Especially if you had my kids, you know what I mean? You protect your kids. Because you realize they can't just walk into the highway. Because they get hurt. And our Heavenly Father is exactly the same way. Actually, as parents, that impulse to protect our children, it's because we're creating the image and likeness of our Heavenly Father who cares to protect us. So what God wants to do in all of our lives is protect us from things. And what's amazing is if you think about everything in the scriptures that God invites us into... That idea of God loves us enough to protect us from our own desires, from other people, it's very powerful. I've been thinking a lot about this idea of gossip lately. Not for any reason, except, I, like, I grew up with uh, gossip columns and gossip magazines, and obviously, you know, the internet, the old joke, of course it's true if it's on the internet. Everyone knows it's not true, right? <laughs> the problem with gossip is you're actually not protecting your own heart and other people from falsehood, and because Jesus is the truth, Jesus hates falsehood. He hates lies. And so really the idea is like a good definition of gossip is when you talk about somebody negatively to anybody other than them. But really what God wants, he's like, I want you to protect your heart because we all realize nobody's perfect. So anything that we say about somebody that's negative, not to them, has the potential of being true. But really what God says, look, if somebody's doing something wrong, rather than talking to other people about them, you go talk to them. Because why? God's protecting relationships. He's protecting our own hearts. He's protecting people's reputation and character. So the idea of everything that God wants to do is he wants to protect us. Now, what I love so much about Jesus is that Jesus is saying, in the last days when judgment is coming, I want to protect my people. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to set a seal on them. And of course, this reminds me of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22 where the Apostle Paul says this, now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, listen to this, who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus, someone like you or me, God seals us with his Holy Spirit as a guarantee. Now, in the Greek language, that idea of the guarantee is really cool because the guarantee, the proper meaning of the word in the Greek language is literally the engagement ring. So when you think about when someone gives an engagement ring, it's a promise that, hey, listen, one of these days, I'm gonna marry you. I remember when I gave my bride, Lynn, I gave her that engagement ring. I was so stoked. I'm so happy she said yes. And I'm so happy I held on to her long enough to marry her, you know? But I remember it's like, this means like days coming when we're going to stand before God and our families, we're getting married. And the Holy Spirit is that seal for believers. Now, people all the time ask, they're like, well, well, listen, doesn't everyone have the Holy Spirit? And the answer is no. Everyone has the spirit of life, which God breathed into all living creatures, naturals, 
nose, so to speak. But the Spirit of God works on everybody. But for the believer, when a person says yes to Jesus, the Spirit of God takes up residence inside of our lives. And the work of the Spirit of God not only empowers us to be more like Jesus, not only equips us for the work of ministry, not only gives the gifts of the Spirit for the edifying, the building up of the people of God, but the Spirit of God also serves as a reminder that we are married to Jesus and Jesus is going to come back soon. So you want to be sealed because the work of the Spirit is to keep us from hurting ourselves, hurting others. Really, it's to align us with the will of God so that you and I walk in the resurrected life of Jesus and we join as part of the body of Christ into our life with Jesus as our head. So we need to be sealed. And we see in these last days, this is a group of people who are going to be sealed. And these are the people who are able to stand. Now, what makes this more fascinating, and I really, there's a part of me that wants to belabor it, but I won't, is we find that those sealed here are 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, a lot of people are like, well, hold on a second. Why isn't it from every tribe, nation, and tongue? And what you find, let me give you like a big idea about theology, and then we'll kind of put it in context. I love biblical theology. I love reading it. Been reading it for decades. Going to read it till the cows come home. But one of the things I know about theology is it's always humanity's attempt to explain everything. Like we love certainty. We love strong boxes. And I like strong boxes like the next of us. But what I say, I always tell people is if you can put God in a theological box, then you're not worshiping the biblical God. Because there's a lot of things we know and then because God is infinite and we are finite, because God is all-knowing and all-powerful, and I don't know that much, and I'm really not that powerful, every time you try and put God in a theological box, God's like, I got some scriptures that are going to make your theological box feel a little uncomfortable. Does that make sense? Because it keeps us saying, Lord, this is what we think we understand, but we believe in you, we trust you. Now, what goes on is... The way people look at biblical theology and the way they look at how the world unfolds, you have this idea that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures. But by and large, the early church was predominantly Jewish, but it very quickly became a church that was uh, full of every tribe, nation, and tongue. And then you have all these scriptures about what is God's plan for the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob physically, Israel. And really what a lot of people say is that in the last days, there will be a revival amongst Jewish people to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And if you look at it, there are rabbis who they call themselves anti-missionaries, and they're worried that there's been more Jewish people who became messianic believers in Jesus in the last 20 years than have in the 2,000 years previous. Because there's an awakening going on. And what's interesting is in the book of Revelation... All of a sudden you find who's sealed? Oh, there's 12,000 each of the 12 tribes of Israel. So it's like, is this pointing to this idea that there will be this great resurgence in people who are ethnically Jewish believing in Jesus? So I put that out there for you. Now, I don't want to overpress the statement because oftentimes I was like, oh, this is the airtight way of how this all works. And I'm like, ah, I don't know if it's airtight. It makes us feel good in the moment. Now, what's interesting about this list, obviously 12 is a significant number in the Bible because you have 12 tribes of Israel, you have 12 disciples and all this different stuff. And what is interesting, and I'm just going to leave this here for those of you who are Bible nerdy that way. And I always tell people, if you want to be a nerd, the best type of nerd to be is a Bible nerd. Because it's God's word and it's fun to nerd out on it. What's interesting is if you look at the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, you realize there's actually 13. Everyone knows that, right? 
Because what you have is for the children of Israel, Jacob had 12 sons, but then he adopted Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And when you look at the list of the 12 tribes of Israel all throughout the Bible, I actually wrote this down. I didn't search them all out. But according to my count or what I've read, there's 29 times you find a list of all the 12 tribes in the Bible. And if you were to really nerd out, I want you to take all, find all 29 of those and list the names of the 12. And what you'll find is that sometimes if they're talking about land allotments, the tribe of Levi is omitted because the Levites don't get land and then you have Ephraim and Manasseh separated. Now, remember I told you it's the same way in the New Testament? We had 12 apostles, right? Now, obviously, Judas died. And then in the early part of the book of Acts, who took Judas's place? Anybody know? Matthias. Two of you know. We'll study Acts next. We'll get you there. <laughs> Matthias is the next one. But then who else became an apostle? Paul. Right? So now you have 13 apostles, you know? And so, so you have this idea that when you... And scholars, if you like nerding out, you can love looking at, well, who's missing? And now what's interesting about this list here is there are two tribes missing here. One tribe is the tribe of Dan, and the other tribe is the tribe of Ephraim by name. Because Manasseh's here, and it says the tribe of Judah, or Joseph, which would actually include Ephraim, but they're not named by name. I've read, literally, 2,000 pages on why Dan and Ephraim are not in that list. And you know why that is? I don't know. <laughs> nobody knows. I mean, people have conjecture as to why, but nobody really knows. Some people would say the reason was is because Dan and Ephraim were the two who introduced idolatry into the children of Israel. You read the book of Judges and you read going on, you're like, ah, I think there's a lot of idolatry going on in Israel in their history. What is also kind of fascinating about all this is how many of you ever heard of the lost tribes of Israel? You probably should have. So what's amazing is, out of the tribes of Israel, when the kingdoms, I'm just giving you, if I lose you, I'll be back with you in a second. Because like, I realize, I'm, like, I'm talking some biblical ideas here that depending on what your background is, you're going to be like, what is he talking about? So there was 12 tribes. And then after the reign of Solomon, do you remember Solomon's son was a boneheaded leader? And then there was a division between the 10 northern tribes and the two southern tribes. The 10 northern tribes became known as Israel. The two southern tribes became known as Judah. And you could read all this if you did the first and second Kings and first and second Chronicles reading with us through the Bible. You realize that both sets, the 10 northern and the two southern tribe, kind of slowly drowned into spiritual apathy. And the 10 northern tribes ended up in exile first with the Assyrians. And then the two southern tribes ended up in exile later to Babylon. But what's interesting is once the 10 northern tribes went into exile with the Assyrians, we kind of lost those tribes. In Jesus's day, those folks were known as the what? the Samaritans. And so what's interesting is the two southern tribes, predominantly from Judah and Benjamin, when they came back, they still retained their tribal heritage. But the 10 northern tribes, we kind of lost them. But what you learn here is that did God lose them? No. How cool is that? Jesus is Pastor Daniel talked about how much God loves everyone today. You were reminded that God not only knows what's best for you, he wants what's best for you. And ultimately, that required that Jesus come and take the punishment for your sin into his body. Pastor Daniel also spoke about the lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus and how God uses the circumstances in your life, good and bad, to make those changes happen. 
Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus is Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus is Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Just click on Give. Thank you for partnering with us. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will start talking about the unique remnant of the people of Israel, the 144,000 will be on the earth during the time of God's final judgment of the earth. You'll learn more about God's process of sanctification, which is the term for making you more like Jesus in your character. Pastor Daniel will talk about a particular group of people who are in front of God's throne, worshiping God nonstop. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series, A Year of Revelation, next time. Until then, may God bless.